You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, Resonate Church. Welcome. We are in the second week of this series called Fight for Your Life. Last week, Josh kicked us off with this new sermon series talking about what does it mean for us to fight, not with the weapons of the world, but weapons that are spiritual weapons. And as I think about fighting, really, I go back to this moment in a movie called Braveheart. Um, and this is you know, Mel Gibson back in the 90s, right, with this idea of um, these Scottish people trying to win their independence and, um, and this moment where he takes and he gives this incredible, the, the speech of the ages, right? And he gives this speech to a, gro- a group of just regular guys as they're there fighting for their homeland uh, and they see this massive army out there and then all of a sudden doubt and fear overwhelm them. And so Mal Gibson um, gets on his horse with his, with his war paint on and the blue face and he begins to, to give them a speech about what really matters and as he begins to talk about um, what, what they're fighting about and as they be, he, the climax of the speech is him talking about um, this reality that many years from now would they rather have all those days for the chance of one, this one day being able to understand that they are free. And then that moment, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I have no Scottish background. I don't know what it means to you know, fight for my country in that way. I don't know what it looks like to have a, a mallet and a spear, but I'm like captured by this speech. And I'm just like, I get chill bumps when I think about the clarity of him saying, hey, this is what we're about. We are fighting about this. There's something worth fighting for. And in this moment, I, I think that this is key for us because we're in a pandemic and this pandemic, this crisis has been a very strange crisis because it's not clear that we should all rally around and fight for something. Instead, there seems to be a settled sadness, like an apathy that has really captured us. And many of us aren't living the lives that we want to live. And there's this this sense of like um, watching the things that we want to be kind of escape us. And so this series is about us being able to say, we've got to fight for something. One of the clear things is that there's there's multiple crises happening at the same time. Number one, there's a health crisis, right? There's a pandemic around the world, and that crisis of health is changing the way that we operate, and that's created a financial crisis. And we can begin to understand the financial things that are happening um, that are creating crisis. But maybe even more specific than that, on a global scale, and specifically, I think, in our church, there's a social crisis, and this social crisis is a very significant thing. And we might be able to name all kinds of other crises that are going on, but I really believe that right now, one of the things that is happening is that we're moving towards isolation, that there's a significant amount of disconnection that is happening in our midst. And we could just ask the question to be able to see, is this true of us? Do we spend more time or less time with, with our friends than we did six months ago? Do we feel more connected to people or less connected to people than we did pre-pandemic? Are we finding ourselves intentionally engaging our friendships with the same frequency as we did six months ago? And I think as we ask those questions, at some sense, every single one of us is affected. No matter if you're listening to this in a very lockdown area or there's very little regulations, I still think that in this, we're seeing this increase in isolation. In fact, this happened pre-pandemic. As we begin to think about what life looked like 
and what trajectory that we were on, we were seeing an increase in isolation. We were seeing an increase in individualism. And then we hit this pandemic and it's just radically, radically increased. And as we begin to understand this, we have to understand this is not a good thing. In fact, there's survey after survey, there's research, and, and all of this begins to lead to the same conclusions, that we are more isolated, and that isolation has led us to not flourish, but to, to, to have all kinds of very dark things that are happening, all the way from, from mental health to actual death. And, and, and as we begin to think about how these play out, I think that we don't understand what the significance is and what we need to do about this. Thankfully, we have clarity that begins to speak to us in the Word. And so I want to go, and I, we're going to walk through Scripture today because I want you to see the whole scope of this. And I want to start at the very beginning. And I want you to be able to see what God says about this when He talks about what it looks like to be isolated. In Genesis 2, here's what, here's what it says in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. Now, very short, but it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, when we begin to put this into, like just seeing this on a screen, I think we can get the idea and it doesn't seem like a crazy idea, but here's what I want. I want you to understand the context of this idea. See, this idea comes at the end of this creation account. And so what happens is this, is that God is creating and, and each, each time he creates, he says, it's good. So he creates the earth and he says, it's good. He creates the plants and he says, it's good. He creates the animals, it's good. He creates people, it's good. And he goes through this over and over and over and we begin to see, he says he, at the very end, it's very good. All this thing, it's relating back to the goodness of what God has created. And then all of a sudden, we begin to see him look at Adam and he says, you know what's not good? Isolation. It's not good for the man to be alone. Now, what's key in this is this is before sin has entered into the world. This is not Adam's rebellion. This is a sense of God and Adam in perfect communion before there was sin and God saying, hey, there's one thing that's not good. It is that this guy is alone. So just let that sink in. In a perfect world, the one thing that's not good is isolation. In a sinless world, the one thing that's not good is to be alone. The one thing that is not based upon sin or not sin is the idea that we are not brought into this world to be in isolation. Now, you have to understand this too. This is not Adam saying, hey, I'm looking at the giraffes and I'm looking at the elephants and they're all in pairs. What's up? You know, this is not him saying, hey, I want, I want a pair, right? I want, I want to be able to have someone. This is God saying to Adam, hey, this is what you need. And so we don't see Adam saying, hey, I'm, I'm lonely. And I think that's a key thing that God brings community in this, even when we don't realize we need community. So here's what we begin to see. And this, as we add our sinfulness to this, as we add the brokenness of the world into this, goes from saying it's not good, meaning that it's not of God, to something that's a, a massive issue. And I just want us to understand the weight of this to people 
who are the most isolated globally in the history of humanity. I, I think right now we have more isolation than in the history of humanity. From that point where Adam was the most lonely person on the world, right? What we begin to have now is more isolation, more isolation because of our, uh, the way by which we connect and social media and these things that make us seem like we're having connections and yet still not binding us together. And the idea of individualism as it is at an all-time high for us, that we begin to see ourselves more individualistically and less as a community together. And so in this, when we begin to um, really operate this way, it really begins to mess things up in this way. As we begin to think about how this works, um, I, I really believe that this is one of those things that uh, as we move towards isolation, it always creates things that, that really, really mess our worlds up. I was thinking about this. Um, one of the things that we do as a family is we love going to this one area of Idaho and it's very isolated. And I love it and it's great. It's great to get away. But um, I was reading about people who live there, like who actually, they, they live there full time. And it was a fascinating thing. National Geographic basically highlighted all these, these hermits that lived in central Idaho. And, um, and they were bizarre stories. Um, a guy who dresses all in buckskin all the time. Uh, a guy who made his whole house out of, you know, like digging into caves. And he's like a literal caveman. And, and there's all these people who are incredibly eccentric. And as they begin to interview um, these people, it becomes really clear that they're pretty different um, and socially, uh, socially kind of strange. And they begin to identify um, people you know, that knew them before, their family's friend, and they begin to ask them about them and how they ended up in these recluse places. And every single one of them was like, not that this was, guy was weird and this makes a whole lot of sense that he would go and you know, build himself a cave um, and become a caveman, but it was always like this. They were so normal and they just had this idea, I wanna live out here, and they go out there and they live, and then all of a sudden they get really strange. And I want you to know that really strange is what happens when we are isolated, that you would get strange and I would get strange, and this is what we should expect. Um, that strange happens when we are in isolation. And what happens is that we are always blind to this. We never think, oh, you know what? I'm getting pretty strange here. Um, we never have the self-awareness to know that isolation is creating strangeness in us. This is only something we begin to see when we begin to get around other people. And so in this, we have to understand that, that isolation is the enemy. And as we want to understand that God created us to be in connection and in community, he, he created this pathway for us to operate that ultimately leads us not into places where we're alone, but places where we are connected together. And in this, as I begin to think through, what, what does it look like for us to pursue this? I begin to discover some things that were actually kind of surprised to me in Scripture. As I begin to think through, like, what do we need to do to be able to move towards isolation and uh, move away from isolation and into community? And my thought is this, that we need to be people that begin to open ourselves up to community. Like, we need to be able to bring ourselves into a place where we, we basically open our lives for people to engage us and are okay with that instead of pushing people away. But here's what Scripture says. 
And as I, I want to walk through this, and I think it's fascinating as we begin to understand the pathway towards connectedness is not through us being able to simply open up our lives um, to other people, but it begins somewhere else. So let's look at this really quick. In Galatians 6, 2, it says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When we begin to think about what Uh, What Paul's talking about in terms of Christian community, he's beginning to talk about this not in a way of simply receiving community, but actually engaging intentionally with it, carrying each other's burdens. Like this is this idea that we move towards people um, and we don't just just consume in this way. We don't begin to say, hey, what does this look like for us only? It says this in Hebrews 10, it says this, and let us consider how we may spur each other on, uh, one another on, towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Again, we see this thing that the movement towards community, the movement towards being an us and not just a me is spurring one another on towards love and good deeds, right? Not giving up meeting together, but there's a sense of us being able to have intentionality towards other people that we begin to initiate. You begin to see this in Philippians. It says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I think oftentimes one of the places where isolation and being alone starts is when we begin to have us at the center of this. And so here's what Paul's attacking this, right? Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking for your own interest, but in each but each of you to the interest of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, as Christ Jesus. Here's this, this idea that when we begin to operate towards other people, this becomes the mechanism to suppress isolation and to unlock connectedness. Now, I hope that becomes clear because I think oftentimes our pathway towards connectedness is not through serving one another. It's not necessarily towards um, being able to say, value others above ourselves and look to others' interest and not the interest of ourselves. This is not typically the pathway we begin to say, hey, you know what? I'm lonely. What do I need to do? But here's what scripture tells us, that we begin to push towards serving others and not having ourselves served. And so it says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, right? In the relationship with one another, as we begin to understand that it is not good to be alone and we should be connected with each other and we fight for this, here's what he says, to have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And so what is that mindset of Christ Jesus? Here's what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, this is my command, that you love one another. How, as I have loved you, I've given you the clear model of how, how this works. And then he begins to hit, hit this in just a cl- clear passage. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. So we go from God saying, in a sinless environment is not good to be alone. Sin enters into the world. And here's what Jesus says. The great redeemer comes in and says, here's the way that we are to operate towards each other, that we are to love one another. How? As he has loved us. There's a self 
selflessness to God through his son, Jesus Christ. There's a selflessness of Jesus being able to say, I've modeled the way that you're to live. So no one has any greater love than this. And here's the the idea that you would lay your life down for your friends. Here's what I want you to understand, that to unlock connectedness begins with operating towards the people around you the way Jesus operated towards you. This is the great irony that for us to be able to have our connectedness to other people, it's actually our service to them. It's it's actually us loving them as Christ loved us. This is is the gospel that we begin to see as, as all this stuff makes sense to us, that God sacrificed to move you from isolated from him to connected to him. Like, what do we do for people when they are, when we want to punish them, right? We put them in solitary confinement. We put them in isolation. And then when we begin to pull out of that, right, that is, that is community. What God did is break you out of your prison, your sin prison. He came and he operated towards you. He sent his son to ultimately to bring you out of isolation into community with him. So he sent Jesus. He didn't just say, hey, here's the reality. I hope you see the truth. I hope you recognize who I am. No, what Jesus, what God does is he pursues the relationship. He did the unthinkable and he sent his son at a great sacrifice to be able to lay his life down for you and for me to be able to pursue the redemption of the relationship, to be able to return back to the garden, to be able to return to being able to have the presence of God manifested in our life together. And so in this This is what God fought for, that we would be able to have connection to his community. And this is the mission of God, and it accomplishes the connection between you and your heavenly Father. It establishes relationship. It eliminates your isolation from God. And yet, that is the model, but it's not complete. That it's not just us and God, just like it wasn't just God and Adam. But it gives us a model to how we begin to live towards other people. And we see this in scripture over and over and over. We see that isolation is this prison that we build ourselves. And so when we choose to be isolated in a pandemic, when we get apathetic about establishing relationships with other people, or when we begin to say, I'm gonna go, only go so far because this is a weird Zoom call, or we're disconnected, or all this, and I can't get to the deep and the real and the raw and the messy, we stop the flow of love from us towards other people. That we receive the love of Jesus and we hold that, but that's not the way we are created. We are created for that to flow through us. And that as we serve people and as we love people, it connects us to them. So here's just really clearly, The way Christians begin to form the deepest kind of community is when we operate like Jesus did towards us and we love people selflessly. And that love towards other people selflessly has a reciprocal effect of connecting us together. That we serve ultimately to connect. That we love to break us out of our isolation and be able to connect to other people around us. So when we think about this, I want to just give us a picture of what this looks like. So when we use these uh, basically pictures, it begins to help us understand how ultimately we are connected to the people around us. So I'm going to use a picture that we use in our huddle, which is our discipleship tool. And in this, 
I want to basically just take and, and, and just utilize this idea of the brick wall. And so we start with this idea that you are in the center here, right? You're this, you're this brick, but you're not alone. When you begin to think about the people around you, you begin to think about other people that are near you. And these other people that are near you begin to fill in these, these parts to your wall and begin to fill in these areas around you. And we begin to think about this, this truth that we are not alone, that we are not isolated. In fact, our lives are connected to so many people. And we begin to think about all these different people in our lives and really all the relationships that connect us together. And as we think through this, we can begin to establish what our wall looks like. We begin to see all these different relationships and we begin to have some of them are closer, some of them are farther away. And so I want you right now to be able to do this. I want you to just to build your own brick wall. And so in this brick wall, basically you put yourself right in the middle of this. And so this is you, right? And so this is, this is who you are in this. And as you think through this, I want you to begin to, to put people around you. And I want you to just put their initials in this. And as you begin to think through all these different relationships and how you're connected, take a minute to be able to just kind of put this plethora of relationships around us. Uh, sociologists tell us that we have 10,000. I'm not going to ask you to write down 10,000 relationships. You probably don't know that many names, right? But are there, uh, are there a few people, are there 10 to 20 people that you could begin to say, they are a part of my brick wall? So take a minute right now. I'm going to give you a little bit of time just to be able to form your brick wall and just to be able to understand the relationships around them. You can put the, those who are closest to you, closest to you in your brick wall, and you can spread out from them however you want to do it. But I just want you to be able to identify the relationships that you're currently in. Take a minute. We'll make this happen. All right, as you are putting names in that, as you continue to do this, uh, let me just give you a little bit of an understanding. Uh, brick walls, one of the things that make them sturdy is the interlocking nature of who they are. And so if you remove one of those, if you take one of those bricks out, um, what you do is you weaken the wall. And all the people around you are really what make you strong. All the people in your life, they're, they're a part of your wall. And those, when they are removed, when those are, there's something that happens to that, just like a regular brick wall, it begins to, to have an instability to them. And if you've ever had uh, the loss of a friend, 
if you've ever had something where you moved and, and, and feel like you didn't have a wall, it feels like there's an instability to this. But for us, when we begin to think about what this looks like, we have to figure out how do we strengthen this? And how does this begin to be uh, a part that allows us to be connected and not isolated in this? And so uh, I want to, in light of what we're talking about, fighting for our life, begin to give us a little bit of a plan for us to be able to work on our wall this week. And so here's what I want to, to do to be able to just to give you this, this fight plan. So if we were to fight for our relationships, to fight against isolation and fight for connectedness, I want to give you five things to do this week. Now you can do them on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or you could do them spread out across this week. But my challenge to you is to be able to take the threat of isolation seriously and begin to push this into um, uh, some action to be able to create connection in your world. Obviously, as you are, a if you're a follower of Christ, this comes out of you being able to understand your love. Um, you're loved by God, that you're accepted by God, that there is no isolation between you and God. Therefore, you can freely give yourself to others. And, um, and we can begin to understand how we understand our love um, from God by being able to do some of these things and by understanding the free sense of us loving other people as we are loved by God. So number one, this week, I want you to encourage your wall. I want you to be able to make a phone call or uh, send a text or say something to their face to be able to say, hey, I want, to, I want you to help you to um, just to be encouraged and to be able to say, this is what I think about you. We don't do enough, um, we don't have enough moments in our life where we're telling people, hey, this is really what I think about you. This is what I believe about you. I want to encourage you. Every single one of the people on your wall need you to say this. Like there's no one who's like, nah, I'm good. I didn't really need you to say that. They all, they're lying to you. They need you to say this to them. So do this this week. Take and encourage your wall this week. Number two, let someone into your burden and commit to carry theirs. Now, this is really the beginning of this idea of saying the word really. When you're, when you're asking, how are you doing really? And this makes, this makes you have to be vulnerable to be able to say, hey, this is what I'm going through. And this is you being able to say, man, I want to commit not to just make this about me, but I want to carry your burden as well. I had a friend text me this week and just say, hey, bro, how are you doing? And my, my temptation would be able to say, hey, everything's great. There's nothing bad. But I had to be able to say, hey, is there a burden that I need to be able to say, hey, this is what is going on. And also tell me what's going on in your life. Because when we begin to share each other's burdens, this is real. This is that kind of relationship that we all long for, where it's not surface, but it's deep. Number three, pray for your brick wall by name. Take and commit time this week to go to your heavenly father on their behalf. Maybe you know their burden. Maybe you, maybe you don't know something about them. But to be able to go and say, I'm, I'm going to take, I'm going to go to God on your behalf. What happens is this. When you begin to pray for them, watch the connection that you have to them increase. Like we are bonded together, not just in our personal interaction, but when we go to God on each other's behalf, it creates the depth of relationship. You will find yourself more connected to them if you are contending for them towards your, holy father, your heavenly father. Number four, spend time laughing with at least one person. Just take 
this doesn't have to be serious. This doesn't have to be like, hey, tell me your deepest, darkest sin and your greatest fear and all those things. Spend time laughing with someone. Just take and figure out how can we do something that we both enjoy. Um, have that moment where you begin to just experience joy with somebody. Again, as we think about the connectedness, we need more joy. We need just to be able to say, let's laugh together as we find ourselves connected to one another. You got to do this one. You got to laugh together, okay? Number five, check an assumption. Check an assumption. Here's what isolation does. Isolation breeds lies. Isolate. What you begin to think is, I'm not sure uh, what they think of me. Um, I'm beginning to think something of them. And what happens is we begin to have these runaway assumptions. And we begin to have these things that are unbridled. And then all of a sudden we begin to believe these lies about people and it would have been so simple to be able to say, hey, you, you said this. Is this what you meant by this? And, and for us, let me just extend this one more step. As we check an assumption, if indeed there's a missed expectation, one of the key things is for us to be able to forgive them. As your heavenly Father has forgiven you, for you to be able to embrace forgiveness for the people around you. This is how we move from bitterness to connectedness. For you to say, you don't owe me anything. I forgive you. And you don't even necessarily have to say that to them. But there might be someone on that wall whom you have some, something that you have stuffed down where they didn't meet an expectation or you feel like they owe you something. And here's your moment to be able to say, you don't owe me anything. That I forgive you as I'm forgiven in Christ. This is the fight plan. And so if you begin to think through this week, encouraging bringing someone into your burden, praying for your brick wall, laughing with someone, checking an assumption. This is going to build strength. And this is going to be one of those things that I believe pulls us together in a significant way. This week I was finishing a book on, on Nike, on kind of the creation of Nike written by Phil Knight, the founder. And as he talked through all of these different realities and he's talked about these, these different aspects of what they went through. It was fascinating as he's telling this um, at the end of his life from selling shoes out of his car to a multi-billion dollar uh, conglomerate. He begins to talk about this and, and what he tells in the story is not simply the facts of what happened, but he tells about the people that they did alongside, that there was a purpose and there was a community. And as he goes through this book, in fact, at the very end, basically he just tells about the people and he talks about the people he did, did it with. And I want you to understand, you and I, at the end of our lives, much like Phil Knight, we won't be as concerned about the things that we accomplished or what we built as who we did it with. We will be most connected and what is the, the deepest part of our lives is who we did our life with and the connection that we had to other people. Do not shortchange your life believing it's all about what you do and pushing relationships to the side. Engage deeply in this, that we might be able to have the richness of having these relationships and that we might fight in the midst of a pandemic, not to have apathy towards our connection, but to say this is worth us being able to say, we'll do whatever it takes for us to be able to connect together and to be able to live life as God intended. Remember, this is what God said. It is not good for us to be alone. 
May we as resonate fight isolation and fight for our connectedness together. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be able to know how to actualize this in the midst of all of these regulations and in a pandemic, Lord, where, um, where it's hard to get together. Lord, help us to understand how to have a safe but a consistent fight for us to keep these relationships moving in our midst, for us to have this, this presence in each other's life, Lord. I ask that you would help us not to have this centered upon ourselves, Lord, but you would help us to understand that we love others because you first love us. That we connect to others, not because we simply want to be connected, but because you did this with us. And Lord, Lord help us to understand that this is what brings us together. So I ask, Lord, that you would create something beautiful in Resonate Church. We ask that you would draw us together and help us to experience a kind of community that the world looks at and says, that is so different. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen. We love you guys. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.